It's true, Epiphany is a short story. It's also true that it gets a short place in the church's history somehow, probably because it comes after Christmas, right? And we don't uh, connect it always with Christmas, except thankful to the traditions of our church, we just lump Epiphany in with the story at the manger scene, right? We see the shepherds at the same time there that we see the three wise men coming in every Christmas pageant in the world, perhaps. Let's, let's don't get confused with the facts, however, right? We know that there's some difference to this story. There's some parts of the story that have been brought together so it makes a better story for the church, let's say. But as we continue to study history and as people continue to gain knowledge about those days and times, we are aware that it was days, weeks, perhaps even longer before the wise man actually arrived. That is why in the text it sneaks in that little sentence that Herod, after determining when they saw the star in the east, then he decided to have all children two years old and younger that were male in the town of Bethlehem put to death. So it could have been as much as two years later. Sorry, don't want to blow your Christmas bubble. We tell the story a little differently because it makes more sense to us in the way we celebrate it. But the reality is that these wise men from the east were not kings neither. They were simply astrologers from the far east more than likely, probably from the city of Babylon, although we're not for sure. You see, they were studiers of the sky. They were Gentiles, not Jews. They were people who really should know or be the first, well, some of the first to know that God was coming as a king, and yet they were. Imagine that. That would be like Jesus showing up at a rock opera instead of in church on Sunday morning, right? Who would be expecting that? Isn't it amazing that when Jesus came the first time in the flesh to earth, that it, the nation of Israel didn't even get excited when these wise men came to search for him. Nobody followed the wise men to there, did they? Just the wise men continued the search. Wow. Isn't that a little sad? Whew. Man, I thought you'd all gone home. The light is bright, and I thought maybe it was that dark. Here we are in the midst of human hist- history. We have an epiphany, a divine manifestation. In other words, an act of God revealing himself, disclosing himself, that is apparent to the mind or the senses. That's what a manifestation is, and that's what an epiphany is. It's when God invades our history in some way, and people can actually see it. Now, we celebrate epiphany around some important events, these wise men coming to the stars, but we also celebrate when Jesus is baptized, right? We celebrate in the transfiguration when they watched Jesus glimmer. But doesn't Jesus appear in our history more often than that? Isn't Jesus sometimes very apparent to our mind, our sight, and our senses, even today? Don't we see Jesus in our earth, in our regular walk? Don't we experience the power of God in our midst and go, wow. I stood by Bill Sickler's bedside, Bill Van Sickler's bedside yesterday and prayed with him. He smiled and hollered at me in the hall when I went by his room because he changed rooms. This is the same Bill who hadn't been able to speak to us for a long while now. That lung is finding its place in his body. And his search for health is being rewarded after a, a struggle, somewhat of a couple of weeks. He's doing so much better. He's hopeful that he'll get to come home soon. I went in and prayed with Jenny Lawler, uh, who is our been our preschool director for years and years in first place. She's at the same hospital. 
She's had surgery, and the surgeon came back with great news after the surgery, that everything had been taken care of, they thought, and everything was back in the place it ought to be, and things that shouldn't be there are gone. Yeah, Jesus in our midst, answering our prayers. We had had a kind of a strenuous year in some ways this past year, but you know, when I called Debbie and said, well, how did we end up? She said, we ended up ahead. How about that, Jesus, showing up again? We sometimes don't see Jesus because we don't search hard enough, do we? Sometimes we're too busy with the mundane to see the star rising in the east. But these wise men were not. Because they were astrologers, what they really noticed, you know, when you study the stars, you see the patterns that are normal. You see the way the stars usually move. They tell me, I've never been an astronomer, but they tell me you can actually see and expect things that are going to happen in a predictable way. And yet there are always things that happen that do not belong to the normal. They are outside of normal range, and that is what happened to these astrologers. They saw a star in a way that was not normal, and that let them know that something was happening, and then their curiosity probably led them to the stories they'd heard about Jerusalem and the Jews and how they were looking for a king to come. And so they followed that star with no more knowledge than that. Gentiles, non-believing people, worshiping God in who knows what kind of way, but students of the stars sought answers to their curiosity. So much so that when they arrived in Jerusalem, they began to ask, where is this king who was to be born king of the Jews? Well, he's not in the place where the king is now sitting, who was King Herod. But when he heard about what they were doing, he was angry. Now, don't you think those astronomers probably knew they were going to make someone mad? When they went to the city of the Jews and started asking, where is the king of the Jews? Well, there was already someone there who said he was king of the Jews. Interesting, right? It took a little courage. It took a little risk. And yet they were so focused on finding this answer to the riddle of life that they had encountered that they kept asking until the king himself summoned them before them. And then he concocted a little story, but the intention in his heart was not to find Jesus to worship him, as he said, but rather to kill him because he was a threat to his own kingship. Now, there's so much we can learn from this passage of Scripture. There's so many fascinating things about it. But today, here at the start of this year in 2016, I'm not focused on the whole story. I'm focused on what they did. They searched without much knowledge, for a king they did not understand. They were seekers, if you will, of this king who was to come to the earth. So they went to the place where they talked about this king to try and find exactly where he was so they could observe this reality and pay homage to worship him, to bring him gifts. How ironic that they appeared in the midst of the nation that had become so used to waiting for the Messiah, that they weren't clued in to what was going on in the heavens and the fact that the Lord was even there now. They weren't clued in to the fact that these non-Jewish people were coming to tell them a Jewish truth that they wouldn't even recognize when it's right in front of their face. Have you ever been confronted by a non-believing, non-Christian person who suddenly brought Jesus to your light because they were paying attention and seeking and you had gotten comfortable? 
And you probably don't want to admit that. I get it. A non-Christian person making God more visible to Christian people who come to worship him every week. And perhaps because we come every week, we get into a pattern. Perhaps because we come every week and we know Jesus is going to return someday, we don't really think it's tomorrow. But what if it were? You see, searching is a kind of wisdom that has its own reward. Searching as a mindset is honored amongst the wise of the world, Christian, non-Christian, Jew, non-Jew. Wisdom is a kind of, expresses itself in ways that we're not always ready for when we have our theology and our understanding of God and Jesus tucked into a nice box. And because we're comfortable in that box, we really don't like it when people ask questions that ask us about what's in the box. And sometimes we don't even recognize that they may simply be searching for what we already have, but they don't have the advantage of what we've already received. And so we can turn them away because their searching threatens us. Because what they're searching sounds for sounds so different, we put them off. Because they're, after all, not really believers. How dare they question what we, the church, might do? Well, church, it's time you wake up. Because we have a whole generation of people who are not impressed with a lot of the things we have in the box. They're not impressed with our platitudes about who the church is. They're more impressed when they see the stars surrounding the things we do outside the box because of the love we profess to have. There are people who are much more concerned with reaching someone than they are keeping someone out. They are people who have minds that are not filled with all of the knowledge of the past about the church and who the church is and even who the man Jesus was, but they are searching for God in their life. And they're looking for someone who supposedly has more knowledge about God than they do to lead them to the manger, to lead them, if you will, to an epiphany of who God is. But if we become so threatened by their questions, so put off by what they don't know, we might miss the yearning of their heart. Because we oftentimes forget how many questions we had when we first began. And quite frankly, many of us, like me, were brought up in the church. Every question I had and asked, it kind of got answered from this tall on up. But many people have had questions all of their life when they, from the time they were this tall from the time they're this tall, and they've never been answered satisfactorily. We call them seekers because they are seeking something that they do not have, an understanding of the God who created them. And they may be put off by some of the ways that doesn't keep them from seeking and yearning to find the truth. And if we as a church honor their seeking, we will find ways to reward their seeking with finding methods to reach out to them in ways that feel good to them, those who are seeking, as opposed just feels good to us, the ones who have, if you will excuse the phrase, already arrived. 
Now, if I preach this message in a hundred churches, I'm going to get the same response you're giving me now. You are silent. You are kind of looking at me like, mm, I don't know if I like this sermon. It's the first of your sermon. It's okay if you don't like it. I like it. I've been yearning to preach it for, for the last, since I got on this talking, and the word search just kept coming to me from the Lord, I felt like. And I feel like that's what's wrong with our church today. And quite frankly, you have no more right to call this your church than I do mine. And you have no more right nor less right than I to make this church available to those who are seeking. After all, even King Herod sent for people to come and tell them where the child had been born so he could send these wisdom seekers on their way. Can we do any less than that? Goodness gracious, shame on us when we get so threatened that somebody's got a question. I love questions about Jesus. I love questions about the church, even when they hurt. Because somebody cares enough to ask. Somebody who doesn't know wants knowledge. Somebody is seeking for something that I might have become so used to that I forgot it's novel to other people. There's a reason people quit coming to church. One of those reasons is they get bored out of their skull. You're still not saying much, are you? You're still not for sure about the end of this sermon. You're not going to be till I get to the end. So relax, okay? It's all right. You say, but questioning, questioning is good. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Even to the person named Jesus, they had these questions. People have questions. They have a right to their questions. And God rewards the seekers. Side sermon. When's the last time you were really searching for something from Jesus besides an answer to a prayer? When's the last time you were searching for a change in your heart? When's the last time you were searching for a deeper understanding? What year was it? How long ago has it been? Now, I don't mean you were just flippantly looking for something and find it in the concordance. I mean you were searching for an answer you didn't have. I mean, you were searching for meaning. I mean, you were searching to know what to do with your life. I mean, you were searching to find the real questions of life, and you weren't going to be satisfied until you found them. I'm talking about a passionate search for Christ. I'm talking about one that's open-ended. I don't care. Give me passionate and open-ended. If they're willing to search all the religions, that's better than searching for none. And if they're searching for all of them the right way, surely someday they'll find someone who knows how to point them to the end of their search, to point them to the manger. That might be you. You might have that chance for a nephew, for a niece, for a neighbor, for a co-worker, for a straggler, for a person you meet in the mall. You say, I don't meet people in the mall. Do you? Yes, I talked to two ladies last night after dinner when Sally and I went and ate. There were two little girls. I couldn't help but ask them, are they twins? It's kind of obvious. They had to be, right? But you never know. Sometimes I get a no, but the answer was yes. They're twins, and they're three. I said, oh, that's a great age. And they both did it almost the same time, showing the stress of the holidays. Both parents said, oh, I don't know about that. I said, well, I got a two-year-old. You want to talk a trade? Because she's a little handful right now, and she's going to be a bigger handful when she's three. But she's still going to be my handful. But they're a little tired. Struggling with two, three-year-olds. You know, when you get tired, struggling, 
things just aren't as much fun, right? I saw another lady coming down, and she had a child who was acting out a little bit. I said, don't worry, Mom. School is coming soon. And she turned around. She looked at me, another perfect stranger. Yeah, I know I'm a little weird. And she said, not soon enough. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to appreciate that which we have when it's right in front of our face. What a shame. What a shame if we go grow bored with the greatness of our God and the majesty of the life that he's given us. Now, if they were inquisitive, and they were, star helped, but it wasn't enough. If they had courage enough to ask complete strangers, people who didn't have any really kind or compassionate thoughts for these Gentiles, if they were willing to ask in their hometown, if you will, in their home square, where is this king of the Jews, then they must have been willing to take risks. Inquisitive, courageous risk takers who were willing to trust the journey of finding this king of the Jews, even though they didn't know their final destination, how to get there or where it would be. Only wise people, only trusting people will take such a journey. I think it's a good word for us for 2016. I think it's such a good word for us because I think it's time at the beginning of the year that we do something we should do regularly, but sometimes we get lackadaisical. I think it's time for us to search our own hearts to find where Jesus is trying to work in our own hearts. Your heart. What is Jesus trying to do inside you? What is he trying to do about the way you feel? What is he trying to make inside you? A more compassionate person? A more merciful person? A person more willing to serve? A person who's more willing to study, to pray? Willing to be more disciplined? Maybe he's trying to find and create in you a heart that yearns for more of his presence just to be with Jesus. But maybe you're too busy, been too busy to give him much time. I think you need to search your heart to find out where your heart really is. I think we all need to do it. And we certainly need to do it at the start of the year. We don't need to just to search our hearts. We need to search our minds. We need to search our minds about the way we think about people. I'm a student of people. I love people. That's why I love Christmas shopping. I love to find the person who's overwhelmed with Christmas and say something to make them laugh, to give them encouragement, to let them know school will come again, to let them know that you, the relatives will eventually leave. You know, to let them know that everything will get back in its normal routine place. As much as we love the holiday season and getting out of the routine, we also love to get back to it, don't we? Just the normalcy, the normal traffic patterns instead of the unpredictable ones. You know, everything. We love normalcy. We love normalcy so much that we normalize ourselves to death. We just kind of get bored. You say... People say, well, why did you not preach Sunday? Well, I wanted a Sunday off. Why did you want a Sunday off? 
I needed it. Why? I needed to hear somebody else preach. I needed to want to get back in the pulpit. I needed to create a thirst in my heart. And it just happened to coincide with sometimes it worked well. And Nick is thirsting to preach next week. I need to be, by the way, Lauren, sign me up for announcements next week. I'm trying to return Nick's favor. Okay, just check it. Don't want you to leave on me. We need not only search it, we need to search our, search our minds to be sure we're finding Jesus by the way we think. We need to search our own plans to find Jesus in our lives. We need to search, secondly, for those who are searching with less knowledge, with less understanding, and who need our help. Now, when I told the children about searching for a million-dollar check, they were interested, right? How much is your salvation worth to you? What would you trade for knowing you're going to heaven? It's not that hard a question. You need a little longer? Nothing. Nothing. Because it's what? It's priceless, right? It's It's worth more than your health. It's worth more than the number of years you have on the earth. It's worth more than the life of your firstborn child. And mine's sitting in the audience. It's worth everything because it's for eternity. There is nothing. There is nothing on this earth in this life that is worth eternal life with your Lord God through Jesus. Nothing. Now, when you meet someone who doesn't have that, you who have something that's priceless, how hard are you going to listen to them? And how hard are you going to search the way they're thinking? How hard are you going to search their life? How hard are you going to search to get to know them so that you might in some way introduce to them to that priceless gift that they have not yet been able to claim? I'm not talking about taking the easy way to find Uh, Somebody who just knocks you over and says, I'm looking for Jesus and I can't find him. Can you tell me how to find Jesus? And you go, yes, I can quote Romans for you. Here it comes. Ready? I'm talking about for the millions of other people who are searching with just such a deep yearning, but they're not obvious, and we're not searching for them. We're passing them by. We miss the depth of their casual comment about how they're unhappy. We miss their misplaced loyalty with the things of this world. You may even be missing it with your children. Maybe your children are planning on doing something and they're adults, and you just back off and say, well, we can't say anything. It's their life. Now, if they were in a car driving toward a cliff as fast as they could go with no brakes, Would you watch him run off the cliff? Now, listen to me closely. I did not say that if you think they're doing something wrong, you should tackle them, beat them over the head with a hammer, and tell them this is the way, and it's my way, and here's how you should do it. I didn't say that. But I did say if your children are headed toward a problem, you need to be searching for the right way to say the right thing at the right moment that might turn them around to go to a different direction. 
And you say, but what if I can't find the right way or the right attitude about it? You need to go back to step one. Pray about your mind and your heart and get it right. And if you can't do anything else, then just be quiet, but find someone else who can talk to them in the way they can be heard if you can't do it. But you don't ignore it, do you? Who's going to let their children run off a cliff, whether they're three or whether they're 33? Nobody. But sometimes we give up searching for what's really going on in their life, and we boil all our conversation down just to the mundane. What do you think the Cowboys are going to do? Well, that's easy. They're going to lose. What do you think the Longhorns are going to do? It's too painful to say. What are you really planning for your life? It's hard to say, too. Are you happy in your careers? Don't wait till they're 50 to ask them if they're happy in their careers. Are you happy with your Lord? Don't wait until they're 80 and you're 120 to ask them. Did I get past everybody there? Got any 120-year-olds? I think I got over everybody. Searching for people who are searching so that we might provide or find one who can provide content so that they might find what their heart is really yearning for, even though they can't even name what that is. Thirdly, we need to search for keys to church. How long have I taken? All my time. We need to learn this year as we're praying to search for the keys to this church for 2016. What do we need to do? Who do we need to become? How can we use the gifts God has given us to be the best church that we can be in 2016? I'm not talking about a casual glance at what we do. I'm talking about a search. I'm talking about an evaluation. I'm talking about looking at the results we're getting and those we say we want. I'm talking about a search for the priceless check, for the keys to take the church of yesterday into the church of the future, along with all generations being able to find the Lord in its midst. For me, working on this sermon, one of the things that came to my mind is I have to do something I don't want to do. I've got to go to general conference. I don't want to go because it's about two and a half weeks, about two weeks after my third grandchild is due to be born. I probably won't have gotten enough of her by then, although she doesn't say a lot the first three months, so it's fairly safe. I also don't want to go because it's going to be two opposite sides of the fence arguing incessantly over a 30-year-old problem. And so I was going to go because I want to see it. It's the last one I'll ever go to. And then I didn't want to go because I didn't want to see what was going to happen. And then the Lord says, what have you been doing for the last 38 years? Oh, been a United Methodist pastor in one form or another. And you're not going to general conference when this biggest question for the last 38 years is going to be discussed? Are you afraid? Sort of. Because they'll make me mad. You say, who will make you bad? All of them probably. Because I'm afraid we'll leave and we'll do nothing. Or I'm afraid we'll leave and we will have done something. And both could be really bad. But now, I have to go. None of my friends want to go. I'm not going to room with an unfriend. So I'm going to drive a long way or fly a long flight. To a place I've never been. Searching for the answer in my heart. What is the right thing 
for this 200-year-old church to do in regard to the biggest cultural question that we face as a church. It's not the only thing we'll talk about there, but it'll take up a lot of the time. Now, I'm at the last point of my sermon. You're glad because you know we're going to take communion. By the way, communion is for everybody. If you're visiting for us, with us, we want you to share in communion. Here's one thing I want us to, how I want us to begin our search. I want us to begin it in prayer. And I want us to end it in prayer. And so I'm declaring today, as noon, to be a time of prayer for all the United Methodists in this congregation. There are many people who are doing this for, for General Conference who I read about them doing it. I thought, you know, that's just what we need to do. Except we don't need to pray about General Conference all the time. We need to pray about our own congregation too. So I'm calling the noon hour a time of prayer. Now, I'm going to take a breath with that. What that means is that the prayer chapel will be open from 11.30 until 1.30 every day. It means it'll be open and it'll be set to go off on the timer. You can enter from the outside. You can go into the prayer room and you'll be locked out from coming into the rest of the building. Every time you come to the day where it's noon, anytime around your lunch hour within that two-hour time frame, I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer. And then I want you to search your heart for the things I've been talking about today. If you haven't been taking notes, you can get it online. It'll be there. Search your heart. Search your mind. Search for those who are searching for Jesus. Search for the direction for our church. I want you to pray about it every day for a year. I don't want you missing a day. You know how long it takes for you to say the Lord's Prayer? Not long, right? You said 30 seconds. I don't care if you did 12.15, 12.45, or 1.30, but I want you to do it every day. This is an idea that comes from God. You can take it or leave it, whatever you think about that. It's not just Doug saying it. I don't say that very often, but I'm really compelled to ask you to do that. You say, well, it'll be hard for me to remember. Pray about that first. Kind of got the message, right? We are going to do amazing things, many things that we don't know we're even going to do right now. I don't know exactly where we're, where we're, how we're going to get to where we're going, but I have a vision of where we're going to go, but I don't know what all is going to happen along the way, but I know there's going to be challenges for us. I'm inviting you on the journey. I'm inviting you to join me to pray. I'm inviting you to make room in your life to search for your own heart and your own mind. I'm inviting you to make room in your life to search for the direction of the church and to participate in causing it to happen. I'm inviting you to search for those who are searching for Jesus like it was a matter of life and death. Because it is. Any seeker, by chance or because of authentic pursuit, can find their way to the manger. Any seeker, any person, any way seeking and looking to find God can arrive at the manger and see God in history right in front of their face. Let's search to see how we can help God, help those who are searching for God. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads now as we prepare to receive communion. And we are extending the invitation to all these people who are here today, Lord, members and Christians and those who are seeking. We invite them all to come to the table to remember the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ.
And we begin this year in prayer, and we're going to continue in prayer throughout its progress. We're going to begin right now, Lord, with a prayer of confession that everything was not as it should have been in our lives in 2015, and we ask for your forgiveness where we've been more human than we have been divine. We ask for your forgiveness for the times we've heard your whisper and your call, and we've refused to ignore it because it threatened us and it seemed like a risk. We ask for your forgiveness for the times when we treasured our earthly things so much that we put a firm grip on their lives where they were material goods or people, and we did not release them fully into your hands to be used by you. We confess, God, that sometimes we have just refused to break with those annoying habits, both things we've done and things we've not done, because we've grown comfortable with our habits. And so we ask you, change our hearts, change our minds, change our perspective that we might be better people not for our sake but to bring honor to you and to be light for others who are still seeking and who have not yet found you bless us as a congregation that we might live and behave in such a way together that others will know who you are can have their search end at the manger and at the cross so that they can rise with new life and be yours forever. Maybe so in your will, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.